0: Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Pivotal Conversations. This week, we talked to Brian Kroger, founder of Kessel Run, an effort inside the U.S. Air Force to revolutionize the way the Air Force builds software. Now, the thing that was really the theme of this episode was the recommit. We often hear about how folks on their digital transformation journeys, or whatever you want to call it, how getting that buy-in is so important up front and how they get started, but we don't always hear about what happens when the project has already started and a recommit is required. All right, here we are at CF Summit, Philadelphia. Um, I'm with Captain Brian Kroger um, uh, of of Kessel Run fame. And uh, so one of the questions that, you know, some of my observations from the event here have been some interesting kind of tactics that I'm seeing um, emerge. A couple years ago, uh, we had this sort of notion of the frozen middle start to kind of come out in some of our conversations. Um, And just to unpack that quickly, that's where, okay, senior leadership is sort of bought in at a high level of like, we need to do things differently. We need to digitally transform, whatever you want to call it. At the ground level, developers are basically in revolt because they can't get the systems that they want to use and they can't deploy fast enough and everything is uh, very painful for them. But then you have this group that's sort of between them that's um, where things tend to get stuck. And I have a lot of empathy for those people because I'm in middle management myself. Uh, So I know what it's like where you're sort of, you're a player coach, you still have to get work done but you also have to manage teams and deal with reports and all that fun stuff. So that frozen middle, uh, is in a tough, tough spot. But here at this conference, there were some interesting things that, um, you know, the, the West Corp talk, uh, highlighted this notion of recommitting and like making sure to empower those senior leaders with the evidence that they need to recommit. So this is something that as a, um, as someone who's kind of like in a similar role, I thought that you might have some interesting perspectives on uh, to continue to unpack, and maybe some other tactics to share that you found in terms of you know navigating that uh, the that middle layer between you know the ground level execution and the senior leadership, who's you know comes sometimes sort of you know seagulling in and out of the of the situation.
1: Yeah. So I think the first thing I like to do here is. I want to change the narrative a little bit. I don't love calling it the frozen middle. Um, And we we have very hierarchical organizations, none more so than mine. Um, And oftentimes those people, the resistors, exist in the middle of that hierarchy. And I think that's where the term comes from. Mm -hmm. But in reality, I found that those people exist all over. They exist Mm -hmm. lateral to me. They exist below me. um, And even in some of the senior leadership. And so I really like... um, I reread the book recently. I hadn't read it in a long time, Crossing the Chasm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like to think of that you know, we think about that in terms of technology adoption, but there's also a way to think about that in terms of cultural adoption. And that what you're seeing, that resistance that you're seeing to this new culture that we're trying to bring about in digital transformation is you're getting to the point of the chasm and you've got these early and late uh, majority adopters that are just across the chasm they have a different level. In fact, uh, more in the book, he, he talks about you shouldn't try to market to um, more than one group at once, mm. and that you should only market to that next group, that next set of adopters, uh, when you've met their expectations. And it's really important to understand what their expectations are, right? So okay. for them to, to press the I believe button requires a very different set of expectations than uh, some of your pioneers and your early adopters. And uh, I think it's really important to remember that and not try to thaw the frozen middle so much as understand what expectations they have before they're going to push the I believe button and go meet those expectations and, and don't bother them or have them bother you uh, while you're going about that process. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's unfair to both the change agent. To expect them to thaw that person without having proven the things that need to be proven uh, for that person to believe, nor is it fair for that person to press the I believe button before their expectations have been met. And I, I think we set up this whole weird dynamic where we force one side or the other to do unrealistic things. And like an example of that is, you know, like I can uh, take a, a pioneering individual and put them on one product team and they can believe that, you know, after being on one product team and building one app that you can build a whole system of systems this way. Um, We haven't even done our first app integration, but they believe, right? Okay. Uh, But then some of these people that we might refer to as the frozen middle, they want to see four or five, six applications integrated in prod, like doing some like system level workflow before they can really press the I believe button that we can now turn that into a system of systems. And then there's some really late adopters that until the whole thing's built, they're just not going to believe. And we waste a lot of time, effort, resources, I believe, uh, trying to convince people too early.
0: How does that play out in, in terms of, uh, you know, maybe can you map this a little bit to the experience that you've had? But if you were to go back and look at your efforts, you know, where did you actually do that well um, in terms of, hey, you know, not not waste the resources trying to convince the people who just really weren't going to be convinced at that time? Um, uh, and, and where did maybe you kind of like, looking back at like, oh yeah, we probably shouldn't have done it that way. Um, <laughs> Yeah. uh, One area where we nailed this is,
1: uh, and this was a senior leader that we found, um, but I would say among her peers, not everybody was in agreement. Uh, Lauren Knausenberger, who signed Mm -hmm. our uh, continuous authority to operate. she saw the early work that we did. Some people think that we just magically jumped to this continuous authority to operate. We started out, you know, the first time around, it took us two months, which was a huge change, right? It used to take 13 months. We got it down to four weeks, we got it down to two weeks, we got it down to one week. And that's when she came on board and she saw what we had done, saw that progress, and really believed that we had met all of the conditions to be able to have continuous authority to operate. and so that's one area where we got it right. Um, I think uh, I could name a, a bunch where we got it wrong. I, I, very early on, the budgets one comes up. There were a lot of conversations about budgets and how do you prove um, that you're producing, you're giving the ROI to, to go back and ask for more money. Um, it's a theme at every one of these conferences. I, we get our budgets from Congress. Uh, <laughs> That's quite a bureaucratic process at times. And I think very early on, we were trying to convince them not only of a whole new way of doing software development, but a whole new way of doing budgeting and cost estimating. And we still hadn't really proved anything, Uh, at least that's of note to them, right? They deal with billions and billions of dollars. And, you know, even the tanker planner story, as great as that was, um, it, it didn't really sell the message we needed to sell. And so it wasn't until very recently that we started to make a lot more headway and, hey, there's a new way to, to contract, to think about the way that we, we um, cost model these efforts. So t- two very different scenarios. Um, we, we've gotten it wrong more often than right, unfortunately. I, I think that uh, until recently it wasn't something that, that I really realized. And something else that you mentioned that I, I think is really important We talk about getting the senior leader Mm buy-in, but I think sometimes the story gets recast. So as soon as these things get successful, um, all the people that were detractors are all of a sudden like the heroes of the story, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is okay. I I love to let those people take credit if it means they're going to be our champions. But it does this unfortunate thing for all of the other innovators and change agents that are out there in that the story gets retold as... um, you know a senior leader comes down and like they're the change agent they start this thing they sponsor it you know they get all the barriers out of the way some of which is true but the real truth is almost all of these efforts that i've seen that are successful are truly grassroots with leadership sponsors and and servant leaders usually they have really great champions that are truly servant leaders and when we tell this story uh, otherwise Everybody else is sitting around waiting for their sponsor to tell them, yes, you can go do this, here's all the resources, and I'm going to get the barriers out of the way, instead of just, you know, like, seizing the day and going and doing the thing yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's, that is another theme that I've seen where, um, both from a leadership message of, like, you need to get out of the way of your people and empower them to come to you with the ideas that they're, they're ready to go do, not just go off into a cave or wherever you do your strategic planning <laughs> cave seems like a really like maybe with a you know like an evil lair in it or something anyways you go in your cave for like you know two weeks or three months or whatever however long it takes to come up with this big plan while everyone is sort of like eagerly waiting outside for you to drop this amazing powerpoint on them um And how it's like, you know, that that whole model needs to change just, you know, almost anywhere as like, well, the ideas should be bubbling up. And, you know, to your point, the servant leaders uh, have figured that out and are really more just like making sure that those ideas happen and that they have the air cover to course correct uh, when things don't go exactly according to the initial plan.
1: Yeah, and your, your senior leadership is going to be on that bell curve of adoption as well. So if you're really fortunate, you get the one that's like the pioneer on the far left side of that, um, that's willing to take on any crazy idea. But it, if you think that you need the leader to start the effort, and then that leader is somebody that's like a like early majority adopter, uh, you're going to have a really hard time getting your project sponsored to get kicked off. So I, I think... Um, it's really important to understand where everybody in your organization falls on that adoption cycle in terms of culture and what you're going to have to prove because it might be the case. Because this was the case with Kessel Run, right? We didn't get... um, It wasn't a go-do. It wasn't... uh, There wasn't even a lot of buy-in in the early days. And that didn't come until we proved some things, right? So it might be the case that you have to go out on your own, completely grassroots, you know, side hustle project, uh, prove some things and then you'll get your leadership buy-in the leadership buy-in has to come at some point there's no doubt about it yeah but you you shouldn't expect that it's going to come at the start of your project or before you start um, you might have to bootstrap it
0: so like what about what do you think about that notion of the kind of the recommit that needs to happen right where we have intentions and we're constantly sort of setting these intentions uh, but we're not like that's different from a real commitment commitment is what you're actually doing um as opposed to what you plan to do so uh you know once you get an initial commitment and that initial like you've got the buy-in you've been side hustling to get to even just that point how often like do you see that where it's like then things drift and you've you've got to kind of you know, you're not, you're not starting from the same position you were before, like when it was a complete side hustle, but you still have to be prepared to sort of get that recommitment. What are the things that trigger those moments for recommitment? And, um, you know, what do you see in terms of when they happen or when they don't like, you know, what, what sort of things help that process?
1: Yeah, we, we have extensive reporting requirements, and uh, we have quarterly reporting that we have to do up to senior leadership, and we use that as a forum for um, also saying what we learned this quarter and uh, what we still need to move forward in the next quarter to meet our goals. So I think the first thing is really having buy-in on what the shared outcomes are that senior leadership wants. I think sometimes I've seen it happen one way or the other where it's either what senior leadership wants or what the innovation team wants uh, versus mutual, uh, mutually agreed to objectives. But once you have those objectives, you, you can't be scared to lay out hey, we, we tried to do all of these things last quarter. Uh, here's our learnings. Sometimes we did the wrong things. Sometimes things got in our way. Here's our blockers, uh, and here's what we need to move forward. And, uh, or like, hey, we need to pivot entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, so we internally, we, we don't do this with senior leadership yet. At least we don't call the forum this, and I don't know if we ever will. But we use growth boards internally as a means to do this. Uh, where it's not just the necessarily the product team coming and reporting uh, what they've done in the last quarter, or, or it's not an accountability mechanism. It's a two-way conversation uh, for how we're meeting our objectives for the, for the year. So recommitting has to happen there. And I have seen, um, like, one issue that we really struggled with was hiring mm-hmm. and talent management. So we can't just go hire people. Right. Um, we have... He- tons and tons of restrictions on that and we were, we were having trouble getting the billets in place and then getting people to fill those and uh, we brought that up to very very senior leadership Dr. Rober so he is like the senior acquisition executive for all Air Force um, and he was uh, very frequently I would say monthly maybe even more often than that checking in uh, to see if there was movement Right. So you talk about that frozen middle, everybody between us and him, Mm -hmm. uh, is, he just asked the question, like, Hey, how's the, how's the hiring coming? And it just forced a complete shift. Um, but that was something we had to ask. And it was, uh, I think sometimes people are scared to ask those things. And I found that uh, people like Dr. Roper are like more than willing, all too willing to, to jump in and, and get their hands dirty with some of those things.
0: So that kind of asking for, like, you know, this, hey, keep us honest. Like, we're we're, we're raising this as a concern and an area that we're challenged with. Not like, I'm raising this to you because I want you to go fix it. I'm raising it to you to put it on your radar, and now I want you to kind of keep me honest by checking in on it. But the process of doing that effectively maybe helps uh, unblock some things. Absolutely. Okay. That's... um, yeah, I think that that's kind of an interesting, uh, model to be like asked to be kept honest in a way. Um, so, and the, the growth boards, like how often you may be mentioned it. I did just didn't catch it in my notes, but how often is that happening?
1: Uh, quarterly. Okay. And we do them at various levels. And I will say we weren't as disciplined about doing them at the higher levels. These things like growth boards and OKRs, uh, they sound really nice. They're easy to put into PowerPoint decks. The discipline around them and making them good and making them work for you is really hard. Yeah. So I would say our first two quarters of OKRs were abysmal. Our growth boards uh, were haphazard at best. Um, and I would say last quarter um, is when we really got into the swing of things and started using them effectively, where we have all of the product teams meeting with their uh portfolio managers on a quarterly basis and then now we have this quarter coming up we're getting ready to have all the portfolio managers meet at that higher level uh, to report up to the line of business and so that process again that, that is a perfect perfect forum it's kind of like feedback. You know, we say like, oh, yeah, feedback culture. But until you actually, until you get into the habit of doing it and you have a forum for it, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen magically. There's all sorts of barriers to it. Um, so I always like to use things like speedback, where you can get high volume and high frequency. Uh, with these, it's really difficult, right? Um, so just being super disciplined, even the first, I would say, the first quarter, they won't seem valuable to you. You'll have meetings, they seem like they're going nowhere. The OKRs, you look at them and you kind of groan. You're like, I don't know, those don't seem actionable. And all I can say is stick it out. Mm-hmm. Um, every Everything I've read about OKRs, whole books written about how you'll get it wrong your first three or four times. Um, I feel pretty good because we got it on our third try, so. Hey, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. But sticking those things out and being disciplined about them gives you the forum, right? You don't want it to be that when you have a problem then you go ask. Yeah, I always want to have a forum where that's just a normal thing. It's the it's the normal. You ask for a recommit.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it. It sounds like a retro, right? In a lot of ways, where you know teams might be having a retro on a weekly basis, and you normalize the process of getting airing out the kind of the, the not so good stuff. Um, and so, you know, this seems like kind of a, a similar equivalent at just like a different sort of level of uh, the organization, different sort of um, objective, but yeah, you're normalizing the process of keeping each other honest and making sure that you're checking in on what you've learned. Um, I like this kind of tree of, like, you know, what what you've learned, what you need, and do you need to pivot? And, like, if you can answer those three questions collectively, um, you know, or be able to share that with that group, then you've got something to kind of have those conversations around. So, okay, well, this has been enlightening and a very fun discussion. Um, any, any other thoughts you want to share on the topic or, or you know, just learnings and observations from the conference? You
1: know, I, the biggest theme that I saw come out over and over again, and it's something we're still struggling with, is the, the platform as a product discussion. Mm. And it's interesting that I, this, the conversation's been the same for two years. And it seems like uh, it's a battle everybody's still struggling through. Um, I had a really interesting speaker come to Kessel Run. Uh, he's, uh, he was the Amazon Black Friday guru, right? So, like, Amazon was always cl- crashing on Black Friday. Mm-hmm. And after he showed up, it, it didn't crash again. So that's his claim to fame. But he, uh, he said this thing that really struck me. He said, there was an in-house service that Amazon offered, um, but I used Akamai instead. Mm-hmm. And it was a big scandal, right? Like, everybody's like, how can you do that? How are you not using the Amazon service? And he said, Akamai is better. Like, it's just a fact. If you want my business, you have to earn it. You don't get just to have my business because you have an Amazon label. And I think that all of these teams, um, it's it's really hard. It's easy to say that. It's hard, I think, for the platform teams. Uh, the There's so much technical work that has to be done. What I'm seeing missing is a lot of the product management role that would typically be involved in, and the product design roles that would help market the platform to the customer. So not, not at pivotal per se, but uh, like at all, with all the clients as right. they're building out their platforms, is there's not really a service offering that's like, hey, how do you make your platform a product and market it to your business? It's just kind of assumed that since the business is investing in this thing, that people are going to use it, and that's n- not the case with any customer I've seen to date. So it's uh, it's something that we're still struggling through, and um, y- you run into these weird things where people, if they don't start to think about the platform as a product, they start to build platform for platform's sake. Right. And it becomes a very technology-driven discussion instead of a user-driven discussion. And, uh, yeah, so that was just interesting to me that... Um, it's a theme that keeps popping up. I don't know if I have a solution. I'm just admiring the problem at this point. But uh, I like to throw it out there. It's something we struggle with, too. And I feel like people should be more open and honest about it. And um, as of, as in doing that, hopefully people come out of the woodwork with solutions to, to this problem.
0: Yeah. I, and I think there's you know, the, that notion that you touched on of basically even as an internal um, consumer, you like your message to these teams is like you got to earn my business right or i'm going to take my business somewhere else because that's the visceral when you are actually in say the software business or you're you're just in the business world you have to live that day in and day out and like every day you're getting tested for like you know is the cash register ringing or not Mm -hmm. um and so yeah but if you're offering this kind of internal service but you don't necessarily think of it that way you um yeah you can get relaxed in your incumbency Mm. um okay well great that's uh that's a a very fun topic um near and dear to my heart as well so thank you for joining us and uh look forward to talking to you more and captain and beyond
1: (laughs) (laughs) thank you